Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and you are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. It's the best podcast in creation, but you don't have to take my word. The secret power, and I think this is something that I've always been good at, is uh, emulating other people's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's from the time I wrote that Mad About You back in college. Uh, if I know the material, I'm, I'm pretty good at copying the voice of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, when we write Deadpool, I'm reading Jerry Duggan's Deadpool, mm-hmm. which I really love, and I'm, I'm emulating Jerry's voice. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. You gotta go look. Okay, I love Ben Blacker. The person we're interviewing today, I'm just gonna go right into it. We'll do it with this. I love I Ben it. Blacker's yeah. profile picture on Twitter. If if you're by a computer or your phone right now, go look. I, I think oh, it's awesome. pretty good. You're right. <laughs> is, is it a Muppet? I don't even know. It's awesome. It's not a Muppet, but it's a puppet of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> is that maybe that's not notable? I thought it was cool, okay? Don't judge me. That is very cool. <laughs> We're talking to Ben Blacker today, Jamie. Well, I shouldn't say we. You're talking to uh, Ben Blacker today. <laughs> I am talking to Ben. Yeah, Ben, um, if you are familiar with the Thrilling Adventure Hour, he 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 works together with Ben Acker a lot. Um, depending on who you talk to, they're either known as the Bens or they're Acker and Blacker. Um, and they created uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour together. Uh, Blacker, who we have on the show, uh, also has been doing for several hundred episodes now the Writers Panel podcast, which is, I mean, if you if you are interested in writing and the writing process and how stories get broken and how you know the collaborative approach in television and film, this show is amazing. It's a goldmine for just just information and how different people attack uh, writing and creativity. Uh, he generally it's a panel of like four or five people every episode and it's they come from it, they're usually Hollywood or, or television writers. So they talk a lot about uh, you know, writers rooms and breaking a story and writing for episodic television and working as a team and how stories get split up among different people. Uh, it's just it's an incredibly fascinating insight if you write it all to uh, you should check that out. Um, but so we talk about Thrilling Adventure Hour. We talk about the writers panel. Um, we, he, he's done a lot. He and Acker are writing for different, uh, comics now. They've been doing Deadpool versus Gambit for, uh, Marvel. They took, uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour and a spinoff. They, they did graphic novel versions of those. Um, he, they actually wrote for, um, the Netflix DreamWorks series, the, the Puss in Boots show. And I'm going to... I'm blanking on the actual name of it. It's the Adventures of Puss in Boots, I think. Yeah. Um, but they wrote for that for a while too. So it's like they have. He's got this this wide ranging experience of writing for for television, for radio, for uh, 
for, for books and for comics. And so we we it's just a great conversation. We just talk about um, his creative process and and you know how Thrilling Adventure Hour came about. Uh, that that show, if you ever listen to, I mean, the beauty of podcasts, as mm-hmm. you know, Justin, yes. that they're forever. <laughs> uh, and Thrilling Adventure Hour was uh, started as a throwback to like old old time radio and variety shows and uh, and narrative radio where they had foley artists doing the art, the the sound effects and actors doing the stories and um, it's just really good and really funny and a lot of comedians stopped by um, as either they were part of the cast or they came on for guest spots and uh, the show is over uh, but sh- just go back and listen to them yeah exactly they're all there waiting for you to waiting to be discovered right um, so basically what you're saying is we're talking to somebody who is once again remarkably more talented and interesting than me <laughs> Well, that's yeah, and me, but that's kind of the point of this show. Yes, like if, it they, is, if, yes. if we are more talented than our guest, we've done something wrong. Yeah, then we need to be going on podcasts. And yeah. No, <laughs> I, I mean, the best that we can do, the best that I can do, I'm not going to speak for you, the best that I can do is just come up with a bunch of goofy questions to talk to people who are a lot more creative than I am. <laughs> So that's awesome. I can't wait. You sold me. I want to listen to it now. Jamie. You want to listen. To I'm going to listen to it now. Spoiler alert, Justin should have already listened to it. <laughs> hey, you won't go there. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go play that for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks. Glad to be here. Um, I guess I wanted to start off by uh, asking sort of your your journey to writing like what first put you on the road to writing like when did you know that this was something that you wanted to do um it's it's an interesting question and i know i think uh my partner ben acker would say the same thing and it's just that there was no path it's it's what we've always done yeah um we're utterly unqualified to do pretty much anything else um i remember in third grade writing a story uh, that was a mystery story that I was really happy with and it made me excited to have done it and for it to exist in the world and I thought this is something I have to do. It was um, sort of a, a, a career path that seemed real to me because uh, I think I had two big influences in that realm. My aunt was a uh, children's librarian. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So she would ply us with all of the best books, the great kids' books, young adult books, as I was growing up. Um, and her daughter aspired to be a writer. And I think at that point was actually writing and, and eventually became a, uh, a young adult author herself. Mm-hmm. And so that the latter, uh, my cousin becoming a, a published author, happened, I think, when I was in college. And it seemed like, oh, that's that's a job that you can have. Sure. That's, that seems very <laughs> appealing to me. Well, you mentioned uh, Ben Acker, and you guys have sort of, you're a writing team. Um, when did you first get hooked up with him as a writing partner? Uh, ben and I met in college. We met at Syracuse and uh, were friends there. And then I transferred to Emerson College, and he graduated properly from Syracuse. And right after school, he came out to 
Los Angeles and his first job I think was as an office PA on Will and Grace mm -hmm. and he was friends with it's a convoluted story he was friends with the assistant to the creators of Will and Grace's agent who was this okay. real like powerhouse of an agent um, and the agent knew that Ben wanted to write so he'd come in and he'd bark at everyone and he'd turn to Ben and he'd say where's my script mm -hmm. when are you going to get me a script and uh, Ben who he, as he will say, had spent, you know, 10 years previous starting things and not finishing them, working with people who didn't help him to finish projects, um, gave me a call and told me about this situation. And I was, I had taken a, a TV writing class at Emerson, which I absolutely loved. The teacher was terrific. She treated it like a writer's room where everyone was working on their own scripts, but it was very collaborative. Um, I took the class twice. I loved it so much. Wow. Uh, I wrote a Mad About You spec and I wrote a, I think a Dharma and Greg spec. Wow. Okay. Which really dates these. <laughs> but, uh, ben called me up and we started throwing ideas around and he came out to Boston and I think in a weekend we wrote a handful of Buffy specs because it was the show we knew and loved the most. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the scripts were not very good, but working together was great it was better than working alone it was yeah. certainly way more fun if you can step back for a, like you know a few feet like what what would you say are the ingredients to the magic sauce that the two of you bring to any project i think at its core it's a shared sensibility mm -hmm. um i think you know we both neither of us is lazy and neither of us is happy with the obvious story choice if that makes sense yeah um, and I think that's, that's something that always keeps us going. Ben put it really well some time ago, uh, when he talked about the way we work together and how one of us will take the first draft and then hand it off to the other person. And he said his job when he has the first draft is to, even though I know what's coming cause we've broken the story together is to surprise me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that's sort of what we do all the way through, even in, you know, very small pieces when we're breaking a story, it's, it's always, you know, how can I, how can I make him laugh? How can I surprise him with a story turn? How can I give him something that he doesn't expect? Because, you know, Ben, he's, he's a savvy story creator and, and consumer of stories. Yeah. So, you know, I think both of us are, and we we kind of can often see what's coming down the road. So if we can come up with something that surprises the other one, then then we're doing we know we're doing something good. Yeah. Do do you find that you each have um I guess do you each bring a different strength to the table and are you okay with recognizing that, you know, his strength might not be yours and then vice versa? Yeah, I think especially early on we found that um you know, the way we used to put it is Ben would come to the table with some enormous idea and I would say, okay, here's how we make that an episode of television mm -hmm. uh, or, or whatever we're working on. Like, here's how it can fit into a structure. Um, at this point, you know, it's been more than 15 years and I think we both do everything. Um, you know, I think he's... Uh, um, generally a better joke writer than I am. Mm -hmm. He comes up with stuff that I I have never seen before, and that's always exciting to me. Mm -hmm. 
but I've, I've also learned from that, you know, uh, and I think he would say that he's learned things as well. I don't know what those are. Yeah. I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of writers and I know some writers really thrive in a collaborative environment. You know, they have writing partners, but then others, and I guess it's mostly novelists, you know, like they, they, they really need to be siloed or they need to just be in front of their computer and be totally alone for the ideas to start flowing. Um, at what point did you kind of realize that you were the former? Was it when you first hooked up with Ben and you were just like, oh, this this just feels right? I think it really was in taking that uh, TV writing class when I yeah. was an undergrad. Um, you know, the collaboration of TV was exciting and new in a way of writing that I had never done before. I had taken, you know, short story classes. I had written books in college and things like that. But this was a new way of creating stories and God, it, first of all, it's so much easier. Um, and it's, it's fun. Like you're sitting around a table with eight or 10 other really funny, clever people. Uh, that's, that's way more fun than sitting alone at your computer. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, you know, that said there, there are benefits to both and, and we've done both and, um, you know, writing, especially prose, but sitting at your computer and doing it yourself means you get to make all the choices. Yeah. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to share and your ego totally gets fueled, uh, when something works. Um, and, and that's really satisfying too, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you can turn out something good, but ultimately, you know, I think it's better to have, it's more fun and it's, it's, it just makes sense to me especially for TV writing to step outside of yourself and because it's a collaborative process all the way through. Right. You know, I, I do the writer's panel podcast and that's the thing that comes up every single time is you have so many collaborators. I don't care if you are, you know, uh, uh, Damon Lindelof or Joss Whedon or whomever, mm -hmm. you have collaborators all the way through that you have to work with and they make the thing better ideally. Yeah. Is it is it hard in that environment to not get attached to a certain idea that, you know, might be yours and you feel like that's the greatest idea ever, but everybody else hates or just doesn't think is going to work? I know people do have trouble with that. Um, I would say the biggest piece of advice that comes out of the writer's panel uh, podcast is to not be precious about ideas. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have a problem with it. I, you know, the, the way that Ben and I always think of it is there you're never going to run out of ideas. You know, the people who are precious about their ideas are the ones who think deep down or subconsciously that they're never going to have another one. This might be my last big great idea. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's just never the case, especially the more you do it, the more ideas come. We have more ideas than we're ever going to have time to execute. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you when you've worked with somebody for so long, I mean, do you do you and Ben see yourselves as separate writers or are you just like this well-oiled machine that like you're one entity when you sit down to write? Um, I think, again, because we have a shared sensibility that we do see ourselves as one entity. That said, I think we you know, if we're in a writer's room, we bring different things to the room. Um, if we even on the page, we bring different things to the page. So. You know, in many ways, when we're on a job, people are getting two writers for the price of one. Right. Seems like they're getting an awful great deal. <laughs> we think so. <laughs> um, 
do you find that you you collaborate with whomever you're working with? Do you collaborate collaborate differently uh, depending on the format of what you're writing for? So, I mean, if you're writing for a comic or a TV show, do you do you work differently together with somebody else? Yes and no. It, it depends what it is. I mean, when you're in someone else's writer's room, you work the way that they work. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's if it if you're not the showrunner, then you work the way the showrunner works. Uh, you know, we've been lucky to work with Megan Gans most recently, who she ran a great room. It was really democratic, but ultimately she knew what she wanted uh, and was able to articulate it and made it a really easy room to work in. Um, in other stuff, I mean, we're writing a comic with a friend of ours and we are treating it like the way we write together, uh, the way that Ben and I write together and it's worked so far, yeah. you know, we break story on the board, the way we break a, a TV pilot or something that we're working on, mm-hmm. on the board. And so far it has worked. So yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say it depends on the project. It depends upon sort of who's in charge. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if if you're in charge, you know, if, if it's your personal project, you know, if it's something like Thrilling Adventure Hour or if mm-hmm. it's, you know, versus something that might be seen, you know, like for a television show or something that might be read. I mean, do you find that you think about the story in a different way based on the medium that it's going to be consumed? Oh, of course. I mean, you you have to. Every every medium tells its story in a different way. The, the strictures are different. The parameters are different. Um, but... I would say Thrilling Adventure Hour more than anything has taught us how to break story and write really quickly. I mean, we were on a monthly schedule for 10 years and um, having to create 80 new pages every month for 10 years. Um, and, And that taught us to break story in a way that sort of applies across media. You know, we do it in roughly the same way in comics, though obviously in comics you're only getting 20, 22 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're doing different sorts of things. You're doing different kinds of chapter breaks. Um, but those are those are details. You know, ultimately story is story. Um, whether it's audio, is stage, TV, comics, whatever. Right. Um, you talked about the the writers panel, and five years you've been doing it now. Is that right? Yeah, if not more. I mean, has, I can't remember. I, I think so. I went back to look at the dates, and I, it looked like, unless something was screwy happened with the dates, it looked like you started in 2011. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, so five years you've been doing it. Has has the goal of that show changed for you at all from when you started to now? Not really. Yeah. You know, the the only thing that's changed is that, the, is that there are more podcasts like it out there now. Yeah. Um, the, the only reason I started doing the writer's panel, which for people who don't know is a podcast in which I talk to writers, mostly TV writers about the business and process of writing TV, um, is the reason I started it is that it didn't exist. Uh, if it had existed, I wouldn't have needed to have those conversations. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's still the same thing. It's still, you know, I will watch a TV show and say, oh, I have to talk to that person. I have to know how this was made you know i'm a real process nerd and the conversations about making breaking story and making tv all parts of it are endlessly interesting to me yeah it's it's such an enlightening show i mean it's 
again, if you, for those of you listening, if you've never listened to it or if you've only listened to a couple, I mean, there are hundreds of episodes at this point, and each one, you you might think like, oh, how how much different could could <laughs> writers really say? But they really do. It's so different, just p- different people's styles and approaches to writing and the different shows and the way that they're run. And I found, I mean, I don't write for television. Um, I, I don't really necessarily hope to. Um, but nevertheless, like it's still just so enlightening as as just a creative um, inspiration, I guess. And it's that's really nice to hear. I mean, that anybody listens to it is always immensely flattering to me because I really am just having the conversations I want to have with the creative people who make the things yeah. I like in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, self. Put, you know, self promote here. I mean, that's how this show started, really. I mean, we we've mm-hmm. we've talked to. I mean, we 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 talked to a lot of writers, but we also talked to artists and directors and actors and and graphic novelists and and people. And they run the the gamut. And it's it started out just you know, let's, I want to talk to people who make the stuff that I love about the creative process and what went into it. You know, so um, I mean, I, I guess I have to ask. Several hundred episodes in, and five years later, are you still enjoying it? I really am. Yeah. Uh, I'm about to. We're about to celebrate the 300th episode, wow. uh, and I'm going to do a big live show uh, here in LA. And I'm going to bring back a lot of the favorite guests. As I was making the list of people to bring back, it has grown to be enormous because I've I've met so many great people through doing the writers panel. You know, people whose work I started out admiring, but now whom I really like as yeah. as humans. Um, and I think that's been sort of the the happiest accident of it is to have made so many great friends, um, which is why I, I'm just going to keep doing it. You know, I don't I don't look at my download numbers. I don't look at anything like that. I let Nerdist handle all of that because it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm doing what I want with it. Uh, and when I'm, you know, when there are no more TV shows to talk about or <laughs> no one left to me, then that's when I'll stop. Yeah. Oh, bravo to that. Just do what you love and you know, keep doing it. I mean, has it has it changed your own approach to writing, though? I mean, having all these conversations and seeing how other people, you know, break the story and, and, and get the words on the page. Have you taken away, like personally, lessons or techniques that you might not have otherwise thought about? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Ben and I haven't been regularly in a writer's room in the entire time I've done the writer's panels. And that was part of why I started doing it is, you know, we knew there's institutional knowledge out there and there's so much to be learned from the people who are doing it and doing it well. Um, So, yeah, I take something from every single panel, whether it's, you know, some piece of advice about pitching or something about the process, you know, I could talk to Jane Espenson, who was one of the very first guests, mm-hmm. for hours about the minutia of putting words on a page. You know, that's what she loves to talk about. That's what she's so amazing at. Um, you know, I could talk to someone like Jeff Greenstein forever about pitching a show because uh, he's great at it. You know, there's just there's so much to be learned from all of these mm-hmm. people, and yeah, it's it's certainly changed. I know I. I Mention pitching a show because it's, I feel like that's where the biggest change has come. Mm-hmm. And out of these conversations, Ben and I used to pitch in a much looser way, and now we do it in a very tight, very scripted, um, sort of showy way. You know, the best piece of advice, and I can't even remember who first said it, but it's been repeated a few times 
um, is to pitch a show as if you have just seen this great episode of television and you can't wait to tell someone about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is good advice. I mean, I, you know, it, it translates. It's not just television. You know, it's the same thing as if you're pitching a book to a publisher or if you're pitching a comic to, you know, one of the, the big comic publishers. It's Yeah. If you don't have the excitement, why should anybody else? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you've written for a lot of different formats. You know, we've mentioned a few of them. Um, does it ever frustrate you, though, that no matter what you add to your resume, people are probably still going to just equate you with the Thrilling Adventure Hour? Um, no, of course not. Yeah. We're tremendously proud yeah. of Adventure Hour. Um, and I think that is that is the case outwardly. Also, I think that is sort of um, the public will equate us with that, and that's terrific. You know, it's the thing we're proudest of. Uh, in the industry, people don't really know it. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, it's um, you know, for as many fans as we have, for as much material as we put out, for you know, the money that we raised on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, it's it's still sort of a a cult show. Fascinating. So within the industry, you're still better known at for your for your other work. Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting. Even you know, the people, the people who know it, and this is really satisfying, the people who know it feel like they are in on a secret, yeah. uh, which, which I think the fans feel too, is, you know, we know about this thing that other people don't necessarily know about. Um, and that's really cool. Like, that's a great feeling. It's like when you, you get to discover something. So the people who know it feel that way and are excited about it. Um, but generally, you know, it was, it's a stage show here. It's a podcast, but we started podcasting sort of before podcasts became right. huge uh, and ended just as they were becoming huge. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's a thing for people to discover, but not necessarily a calling card. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you've probably answered this a thousand times, but had you been a fan of old time radio before you started Thrilling Adventure? We, I wouldn't say we were fans of it. We weren't, certainly weren't against it. Um, (laughs) you know, we had a passing knowledge, but we were not people who went and sought these things out and listened to them regularly. Um, really the conceit of using old time radio for thrilling adventure hour was a practical one. Um, we knew the cast we wanted to have. We know the kind of writing that we do. Um, and we didn't want to give the cast too much heavy lifting, uh, as far as memorization. So having them hold scripts in hands Mm -hmm. meant that we could give them a script the week before the show. Um, and they would have that safety net. Um, and then things sort of fell out from there, really just because of the visual of it is, you know, people in suits wearing, uh, people in suits holding scripts, Mm -hmm. just talking into a microphone. Old time radio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it kind of fell out of that. And we also knew we were, we were playing with genre pieces. We knew we wanted to do this supernatural Nick and Nora sort of riff. We knew we wanted to do the space Western and genre was something that old time radio did really well. Yeah. Uh, once we were sort of deep into the show, we went back and listened and um, there was a car trip. Uh, my wife and I took maybe four years into the show where we listened to a bunch of the old horror anthology yeah. series, which were so great. Yeah, I love those. Uh, you know, they're so evocative and, and some really terrific stories being told. Yeah. 
Um, but that was also, that's unlike stuff that we did. You know, ours was primarily a comedy show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the show was done in front of a live audience. How important was that to the overall recipe? Very important. We we didn't realize it would be so when we started the show. Um, our very first episode, which doesn't exist in audio form anywhere, um, was very sort of theater of the mind and trying to evoke uh, images and feelings. And we had a, a lot of our same cast that we had all the way through, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a different kind of show and it was very quiet. <laughs> yeah. Um, people came out and said, I really like that, but that's not the same as hearing laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very quickly, I for that next show, we said we really have to. It should feel like a fun time. It should feel like you're going to a club, uh, you know, in 1940 yeah. and seeing something exciting and special and most of all funny. Yeah. We uh, we recently had Kevin McDonald on the show, and mm-hmm. he's also now doing a podcast, and he also has a live audience. And he commented that because of his history with stand up and with kids in the hall, that was you know half and half, most you know half live. Um, that aspect of the performance that that live audience was critical for him. He had to have it there. Um, can you imagine going back and doing Thrilling Adventure without it now, or is it just like it's so integral to what that show became? It really, it really was integral. I mean. For two reasons. Um, One, there was a new life brought on by the live audience. And that is to say, you know, as great as the actors are, uh, as great as our collaborators are, even as good as the scripts might be, um, there's something that happens when a live audience is reacting in the moment. Uh, And I know, you know, sometimes on the podcast it became confusing to people or it felt false, but we never sweetened laughs or anything like that. It, it's, those were genuine yeah. <laughs> reactions. Um, the other thing that, you know, I think the reason we got such a great cast and the reason we got so many great guest stars is because a lot of actors, you know, Padgett Brewster comes to mind is she was working on Criminal Minds where, you know, you go you to the shoot, there's no audience, it's not comedy, so she wasn't getting a chance to do this kind of thing, stage work in front of a live audience mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Um, and that was the case for a lot of our guest stars, too, is it was a chance for them to come out, work on the stage, which which is where most of, a lot of them started, uh, and get that feedback from a live audience. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of places to do that, um, doing, you know, narrative yeah. scripted comedy in front of a live audience. Sure. Uh, you can always find it with stand-up, but otherwise, outside of that sort of sphere, it's it's hard to find. Yeah, and you don't get to be a guest star in yeah. a stand-up set. <laughs> Not often. Yeah. <laughs> um, but ironically, though, in live audiences, I mean, used to be, in, in sitcoms, they used to be the standard, and now they've almost disappeared entirely from scripted TV. Um as a viewer rather than a writer, is that something that you miss? Yes and no. Um, you know, I look at something like the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, which was filmed in front of a live audience, and it's it's exciting. I mean, it's fun to mm-hmm. watch, but it's also very much of its time because you also watch something like Community, and imagine if there had been a live audience yeah. for that. They couldn't have done half the things they did. The the rhythm and pace of the show would have been very different. 
Um, you know, I think TV has moved to a more filmic uh, look and feel, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think it doesn't feel airless, and in fact, it's sort of the opposite now, where the shows with the live audiences, they have to be, they have to serve those audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to get the responses from the audience, whereas a show that's single camera can can have the confidence of its own comedy. Yeah. You know, you're talking about, with, with Thrilling Adventure, you're talking about the importance of the audience and the importance of those performers and the guest stars that you had on. With all of that in mind, how difficult was it for you to translate that into comics? You know, which obviously is not going to have a live audience or performers. Um, it wasn't difficult only because we know these characters yeah. inside now. You know, there's there's very little difference to us between Sparks Nevada and Mark Evan Jackson, and we know how to write that voice because Jackson's voice is so strong. Uh, those the the character and the actor really fed each other over the years. Uh, so when it came time came time to sit down and write the comic, we were could be really confident about knowing how to write these characters and knowing the kinds of stories that these characters could withstand. Uh, you know, you can only you can only go so big with a spark story. You can only go so big with a beyond belief story mm-hmm. because ultimately it has to be about what the characters are going through. Yeah. When you sat down to, you know, put those characters on the page, did you find that you were thinking about them or writing them a little bit differently, knowing that they weren't, it wasn't going to be a live performance. It was going to be, you know, passively read by somebody from a book. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know that we did. Um, I will also honestly say that uh, for the most part, Acker wrote the scripts for the uh, comics Mm -hmm. because we were still doing the show at the time. So there was a lot of work to be done. Um, But I don't think he approached them differently. And and to me, they don't really read differently either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely feel at home. I mean, it's, it's of the same world. So it's just, yeah, it seems, you know, as an outsider, it seems like that would have been more difficult than you're saying that it was, which is (laughs) nice to hear. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the way we always think about it is to say like, look, Superman existed in the comics but then he was had a radio show and he's had movies and he's had TV shows and all of these iterations of Superman are still Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just drawing out different parts of the character for different media. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think we tried to do that to an extent. I couldn't say what those parts are because I think that only sort of happens retroactively. Yeah. Um, have, have you ever had any like great ideas or good ideas Preferably great ideas. Have you ever had any great ideas that sort of grew out of a mistake or a, or a decision that you regretted in the moment? <laughs> oh, I feel like everything has grown out of a mistake. <laughs> Spoken like a true writer, a true <laughs> artist. <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's certainly, I can't think of anything offhand, but there's certainly been stuff that has come out of circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that springs to mind with Thrilling Adventure Hour is there was... Uh, Mark Evan Jackson, I think for the first five years, missed only one show. Mm-hmm. And 
for that one show, we put in Paul F. Tompkins as this Jupiter spy pretending to be Sparks Nevada. Mm-hmm. And it was such a funny character, and Paul delivered it in a way that we did not expect. That was so funny. Um, so when it came time for Mark to miss another show, this time at Largo uh, in sort of our, our second incarnation of the show, mm-hmm. um, we brought that character back and it turned into a much bigger arc and it actually sort of took over almost a year of the show um, with this, you know, this Jupiter spy storyline and it ultimately led to stuff that we hadn't planned. Yeah. We, we sort of knew the course of the last couple of years of the show, but, but bringing in Paul as the Jupiter spy, the shape-shifting Jupiter spy changed the course of a lot of those stories in a really good way. Yeah. Uh, I want to switch gears just for a few minutes. Um, I know you've written a lot of Deadpool and mm-hmm. I know, uh, that character has a lot of appeal for fans. <laughs> um, but what makes him fun to write? There's a lot that makes him fun to write. Um, we, we really relish the chance to get to write this character. I mean, first of all, it is, incredibly fun getting to play with Marvel's toys yeah, uh, and that they let us use Thor and Dr. Strange and stuff like that has been amazing. Like that's just so awesome. And that is like the little kid in you is flipping out when you get to do that. Um, but for Deadpool specifically, he's one of the only characters and Spider-Man does this too. Although I'll talk about the difference in a second uh-huh. who makes jokes in addition to being funny. Right. Uh, so you actually get to write jokes for the character. The difference is I think Deadpool can be a lot more adult, a lot more caustic. Um, you know, they're not just snappy one-liners. Yeah. They're, they can actually be really telling of characters mm-hmm. um, and sort of getting to the heart of other characters uh, because he's cutting in a way. I mean, it's fun writing a character who isn't self-aware but has an enormous ego and is very astute about other characters. Yeah. It, it's got to be not liberating, but it's got to be freeing in a way because this is a, it's a type of character that you don't often get to write. Yeah, it's a way to sort of comment on the world but mm-hmm. still be in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any chance of an ongoing Deadpool versus Gambit? Um, I don't know. Uh, we have pitched a version of that to our editor. Uh, we would love to do it. We love writing these characters. We love playing in the Marvel Universe. We love playing with those toys. Um, but ultimately, it's kind of about what they have on their slate over the next year or two. Like, they plan so far out because of big events and stuff, so... You know, we'll see what they have yeah. plans for. We'll see if they have room for this comic, which is one we'd love to do. Yeah. Um, but we pitch Marvel stuff all the time, and uh, hopefully something will take because we really love working for them. They're doing such great stuff right now. It really is. I mean, it's like a golden age for them right now. Yeah. Um, real quickly, I just wanted to know, I mean, when, when you sit down to write characters that are your own creation, um, you can sort of mold them to be you know, the, the idealized version of how, what you see in your head. But I'm wondering when you sit down to write, you know, these existing characters, how do you put yourself 
in that mind frame. I mean, if you're going to sit down, like you've written for both Deadpool and Puss in Boots, which are not only just totally different characters, but they're also totally different audiences that you're trying to reach. I mean, is that like, you just have to sit down and take a deep breath and be like, okay, you know, and just try to get yourself in that mindset or, or, or is there some other like secret skill that you've got going on? No, I think the more you do it, the easier it becomes, you know, part of the job, this job of writing is putting yourself in the heads of other characters. And, you know, there are many times when I've been writing something, whether it's my own thing or someone else's character and said to myself, I wouldn't do that Mm -hmm. in reaction to some circumstance. And maybe I wouldn't, but the character would. Right. You know, and that's an important, I think that's an important distinction to know. The, the, the secret power and I think this is something that I've always been good at is uh, emulating other people's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's from the time I wrote that Mad About You spec in college. Uh, if I know the material, I'm, I'm pretty good at copying the voice of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, when we write Deadpool, I'm reading Jerry Duggan's Deadpool, mm-hmm. which I really love. And I'm, I'm emulating Jerry's voice. You know, he is the current voice of Deadpool. And I think he's, he's also the best voice of Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to do our version of that, you know, in writing Puss in Boots, it was an even more straightforward thing where that character exists in two movies and, and episodes of the TV show already. So to copy the way he speaks, the way, you know, phrases he would say, it, 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 it tends to come easily to me and it's something I enjoy. Yeah. That's your superpower, then, right? I guess so. <laughs> Where would I'm you? Better spy. There you go. <laughs> Where would you be right now if Thrilling Adventure Hour had never happened or taken off in in a big way? Oh, probably wildly successful. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, several, uh, Beyond Belief would be a TV show. Sparks Nevada <laughs> would be a TV show. <laughs> Colonel TikTok would have been a short-lived but beloved cult show. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the the podcast was just holding you back, is that what? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, uh, you know, hopefully, Ben and I still would have been creating things. I don't know what those things would have been, what form they would have taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we'd be doing exactly what we're doing, and you know, would have found a way to learn how to write in the way that Thrilling Adventure taught us how to learn how to write. I'd be. Sad because I wouldn't have met so many amazing people and collaborated with them over the years. Mm-hmm. So I'd be a sadder person. Oh, but you wouldn't have exactly known what you were missing out on. I feel like I would have. <laughs> okay, you would have. I feel like I would have watched Madman and been like, "Oh, I should get John Hamm for a thing that doesn't exist." <laughs> oh, but I, I just don't know what I would get him yeah. for. <laughs> exactly. Ben, thank you so much for your time. It's just been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. that's it for this week on the great big beautiful podcast and we're cruising right along to episode 100 it's coming up soon we're getting close aren't we we are we're getting close and jamie you found out when our episode 100 is going to be and i I think it's awesome yeah it's i mean i wish (laughs) i could say like you did got donald trump for episode 100 we're gonna tear him apart but no uh our episode 100 no i didn't even say why that's even funny because our 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 episode 100 is actually going to be airing on election day here in the, in the States. That's killer. That's so awesome. 
Yeah, so it's not obviously we're not political. We keep saying that, but right. the guest that we've got lined up for episode 100 on election day is somewhat appropriate. Exactly. And so I'm do gonna you, say. And you live in DC. Is there anything big that goes on on election night there? Do you have like parties that you can go to? Public uh, ones? We, we go to vote. <laughs> but the, no, but I mean, like you personally, is there like parties you can uh, go to? Me or? personally, no, I don't personally do anything. But I mean, like yeah. all the big. The big black tie balls. I don't right. know if they're all here. They might be wherever the. I mean, they're wherever the candidate is, and that's guess, not necessarily yeah. in D.C. Sometimes they're in their home state or home right. city. I don't know anything um, about politics. I have no idea where <laughs> where Clinton and Trump are going to be on election night. I don't think that it'll be in D.C. There's no. So to answer your question in a really roundabout way, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything special happening, right. but I will not be there. If there is. Okay. I've only (laughs) been to one American election party and it was when I was in college. Uh, There was, there was a lot of Americans that went to our school and they had a big party on campus to watch it. It was the first year Obama got elected. So it was very interesting to see them because that was at a point where I didn't really know anything about, I knew, obviously I knew George Bush and what he did and what he didn't do that type of thing. I'm not going to comment about George Bush, but (laughs) it was interesting to see the people and their different opinions all in a room together watching, <laughs> watching uh, the election. It was, I, I wanted to, do, I should have documented it. It was crazy. It was. Yeah, no, we don't, um, we, I, we don't throw big fancy election day parties. We just, we go, we vote and then we watch the news to see how badly right. we've effed up our country. You stay up until four in the morning to see what Florida's going to do, right? <laughs> well, it depends if, if, it's, if Florida's make or break, then, you know, I usually go to bed and just say, you know, like, and, and you know, but I can't do that because there might not be a tomorrow morning. If, right, if worst exactly. Happens. If the worst <laughs> happens. Hey, you could wake up and the third party fringe guy just be in. Also more political podcasts. I don't I don't think so. I don't no. think so either. <laughs> so awesome. Episode 100, Election Day. It's probably I don't know how we got on that. Completely unrelated to this episode. Exactly. So if the person you don't want to get in gets in, just turn off the news and come listen to our podcast. <laughs> sure <laughs> and if that's what you did hello welcome hi I, welcome in <laughs> i guess that's not we're not on episode 100 now so i don't know why i said that but that's cool <laughs> all right okay where can you find us you can find us at twitter.com slash the gbb podcast or just at the gbb podcast and same on facebook and i am justin at 140 justin c I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. and you can also find jamie on starwars.com he doesn't say that often but you can you can. He's, Thank you for reminding me. I got to go write something for them. That's the thing. I have none. I have to go write my piece for StarWars.com. Oh, no I do. Actually. No big deal. No, stop it. Stop it. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.